guys, what's up? So, as you notice, I've been MIA for the past couple of weeks, and it's all due to our current situation in the world. This affected me emotionally as well as physically, just dealing with my personal struggles and the people around me struggles. Also, what direction I want to take with this podcast. I still want to do research on how I grew up. And so this episode is about me just just talking to you. So about me, when this pandemic first happened, I was in denial. And I actually had two interviews lined up. One interview was with a politician and I was super excited. But of course this happened. I wanted to ignore what was going on. I wanted to talk about what I was scheduled to talk about. But as time went on that, oh snap, this is serious. (laughs) This isn't a little thing. I was hoping our president was right on. Of course he was wrong. (laughs) This past weekend, I came across this article from the Architects newspaper titled How Architecture is Exacerbating the Coronavirus Crisis for Minorities and Black Americans. And that pretty much summed up how I was feeling. I'm going to structure this talk three ways. One is about me. And next is about people that surround me. And lastly, it'll be about architecture and this pandemic. So first, me. I was dealing with work and with my health. Back in January, late January, early February, right when I launched this podcast, I got sick. It was a flu, but it was a weird flu. Like usually you feel weak, you have a little sinus. With me, it starts with the head and moves down to the chest. I have asthma. Since I was six, five years old, as a kid, I've been in and out of hospital. I know the struggle of not being able to breathe. So I was at work and then you're like, you know what? I I am seeing two. There's two screens instead of one. I'm not feeling well. There was something I was doing in the office and I wanted to see it through and I saw it through and then I drove myself home. And the next day I was like, I'm out. I can't, I can't function. I can't do anything. This was a different type of flu. It started off with my throat and then it went up to my nose. It affected my ears a little bit and it just hung around in my throat. It would not leave my throat. I don't think I had a fever. I probably did, but it probably was not significant enough for me to say, Hey, I have a fever. So I'm coughing a lot. Like this is like dog cough, base time cough. So it was stuck and my throat was hurting me. I was sore. It was just, ah. And so as it trickles down in my throat, it goes down the esophagus or whatever. And it just stays on my chest. So when it stays on my chest, that means I start wheezing. It was a point where I was feeling a lot better, but I still had this dog cough. So I went back to work coughing like a dog. And it was to a point where they were like, are you sure you're okay? Are you still sick? So then I went to the doctor finally and no, I didn't go in my primary yet. I went to urgent care and urgent care was like, you have bronchitis. 
they gave me some meds and it's usually prednisone and the rescue inhaler. Okay, cool. I'm taking those and it will not go away. I don't have fever. I feel fine. It's this cough. But then my chest started to feel tight. So this was right when the pandemic started to make news. It was already in the news, but this is here and it's getting serious. At this point, it felt like someone was sitting on my chest. I was feeling fine. The cough pretty much subsided. I had went to my primary care doctor and she's subscribing with more rescue inhalers and a nebulizer. So I could do at-home nebulizer treatment. Did that and it still would not go away. What didn't go away is this chest feeling. It felt like a little baby, let's say six to nine month old baby is sitting on my chest all the time. It's not like I was out of breath or shortness of breath. I know how that feels like. It wasn't that. It was just this pressure on my chest. So I had to make an effort to breathe. It was conscious. I need to breathe deeply in order for me to get a full breath in. So at this point, full pandemic mode, I'm like, oh shit, I hope I don't have it. Hope I'm not a carrier. I finally, I made an appointment with a polymologist. Polymologist. A lung doctor. I'm sorry, I messed that word up. When I made the appointment, they take your temperature, stand six feet apart from everything. Everything sent, the whole place smelled like Clorox. I went into this machine that just tested my lung capacity. My oxygen levels were great. It was like 99%. I breathed deeply and exhaled as hard as I could into this machine. And it, it gives you a little printout or whatever. My lungs are fine. It's functioning. It's great. It's wonderful. So he switched meds on me. I've been feeling fine. In essence, I thought I had it at one point and it just would not go away. I will never know because I can't get tested because, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a basketball player. With my immediate family, number two, my mom is a home health aide, not a nurse practitioner. She's not that. She goes to elderly people's homes and clean up or talk to them. My mom is considered an essential worker and I'm scared. I was like, mom, are you serious? You're going to work? My mom does have a car. She takes public transportation. So she'll hop on the bus and she hates the subway something about tubes and being on the ground and the earth will fall on top of you. I don't know. She also hates parking garages and driving on the highway. That's my mom. So my sister and I was like, we don't want you to go to work. My mom is close to retirement and she's taking care of people who are at her age or maybe even younger. Needless to say, we did not want my mom to go and they were still asking her to go to work like it was crazy but that's a that's a whole different other topic right there my sister and I we can take care of our mom but my mom chooses to work she still wants the responsibility of taking care of herself because you know it's your mom that's just the way she is with enough begging and convincing she's not working anymore I mean she took some time off she has enough hours that she could take the time off Everybody else is fine in terms of my immediate family, health-wise and everything. I I didn't want to think 
about how my community would be affected. Because I knew, I knew what's going on in New York. Oh my God. I, I didn't want to phantom. I didn't want to think about what is happening. And sure enough, it's happening, right? Black and brown folks are the most vulnerable populations. And of course, we would be the victims of this with higher numbers. I knew this deep in my heart. I didn't want to talk about it, deal with it. And I was in total denial. That's why I wanted to focus on my work. I wanted to attend this meeting or getting these drawings out. I didn't want to do this podcast. I didn't want to, I didn't want to deal with the topic that is like the core of it because it's, it's emotional. And I'm sitting here and I'm on Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. And I see all these things about how architects can help. Okay, let's all make masks out of 3D printing. Let's design hospitals. What do you call it? 10 hospitals. There's a name for it. I apologize. In the back of my mind, I'm like, what about my community? Are you going to my community? This is what frustrates me. I couldn't formulate an argument for it. It's something that I'm feeling. And it's hard for me to express the concern that I have, to put out the concern and to start to ask the right questions because I'm emotionally tied to this deeply. It's hard for me to separate my emotions from verbally expressing correctly and intellectually what I feel the problem is. Or should I say to address what's not being addressed? In the next couple of days, I'm going to start talking to people about it and put them on a podcast, of course, and see how this pandemic is affecting them because it affects us all differently. I don't know what to do. And that's another thing. I don't want to create a panel of people to bitch and complain about what's not being done. Anybody could do that. That's why you watch CNN for or any other news media 24-hour network. I want solutions and I want to be able to help, but I don't know how to help. I don't have that network. I don't know what the need is for black and brown folks. Well, no, that's a lie. What we need are jobs. What we need is health care. What we need is food. The basic necessities. That's what we need. As an, as an architectural professional person, I don't know how to provide help. The healthcare workers out there, the people who are essential, they're me. They're my mom. You know, like, how do I help? How do I help my mom? Tell my mom, hey, don't worry about the bills. I'll pay for it. That's, that's how I would help my mom. And I can't do that for all the black and brown people in the United States of America. I, I personally do not have the pockets to do it. I'm, I'm desperately waiting on my stimulus check like everybody else. I see online all these webinars and hashtag COVID-19. And this is how architects can help it. I don't see my place in it because I don't do healthcare. I have no experience in healthcare at all. Can I 
rally up people who are healthcare people to do something. I could probably find a network. But what is it that we do? Is it as simple as finding a 3D printer and printing out shields for them? How many do you need? How will it get distributed? I don't even know where to find a 3D printer. How will it? That's the emotional part. That's the part where I get stuck. And I don't want to be a cliche, another person who's just talking about this. I'm not about lip service. This podcast was never about that. I know there's there's three three things that I've said, but number four is how the architectural profession responds to crises economically. It's crazy how fragile the architectural profession is. As soon as you sneeze... Three companies just folded, massive layoffs, pay cuts. And you're just like, I just sneezed. That's all that was. And it's, it's scary. So every 10 years, every 20 years, this cycle is going to happen. As a profession, we need to reinvent ourselves seriously. Like, it's crazy. I shouldn't, it shouldn't be this fragile. Why is it this fragile? And why isn't anybody talking about how fragile it really is? So one is client, right? Don't pay the bill. Next is construction. You're going to risk your life going on a job site? I'm pretty sure contractors practice whatever it is they need to do in, in this situation. Everything just stop. And you know what it is? Design is a luxury. Building is a luxury. It's not essential, even though construction is essential. We need another source of income, right? Either that or raise our fields, raise our fees so significantly that it covers costs like this. But that's not, that's not going to happen. I don't really know what else to do. But, you know, you have, you have organizations here. Why can't we just be real with ourselves in this brainstorm about another way? Because always are not working. It's not working at all. I mean, you can't live like this. You really can't. Unless you're in that safe zone, but even still, you're not safe. If you work for a large company and you're in a position that you make these decisions or whether or not you you fire or p- cut people's salaries. Are you safe? And there's so few who, who, who makes these decisions. And then one day you see yourself standing outside a closed door meeting and like, what are they talking about? And they can you. It's not, it shouldn't be this way. That's all I'm saying. It should not be this way. And I think that if the profession doesn't do something about it, we're going to be extinct. It's just, it, it keeps cutting us away, cutting us away little by little. It's going to be hard to convince. 
others to be in this profession when there's no jobs for it. You pay all this money for school. You graduated with a bachelor's or master's of architecture. You look around and there's no jobs. Or there is a job. You got a job. Three years later, you laid off and there's no jobs. You can't, you can't raise a family like that. So moving forward, it's going to be a bunch of people talking and just figuring this stuff out in terms of one interview that I had lined up was going to talk about a little bit of the history of where I grew up. And I had some other people that was approaching. I haven't approached yet, but I'm waiting for things to normalize before I start approaching. I can't go anywhere. I can't do any more research over the internet. I want to do a mental floss. What that means is just feel, just talk about how we can help each other out in this new age. So, Yep, that's it. Thanks for listening, guys. Later. Hey, listeners. I have an exciting announcement. I decided to launch a membership program for the show where you have a chance to support me and the show directly. I love creating this show, and it means the world to me that you all tune in to keep hearing me week after week but it takes an immense amount of time and energy to produce. I want to keep the show going and I want to invest in its growth. And I also want you to become a partner with me in this journey. That's why I'm excited to give you a chance to officially become a supporter of the show at glow.fm slash archispolly, A-R-C-H-I-S-P-O-L-L-Y, or by clicking the link in the show notes. It's quick and easy. It takes less than 30 seconds and just takes clicking a link in the show notes and using Apple or Google Pay. You don't have to create any new logins and you can contribute as much or as little as you like. If this show is part of your day or week and you like what I'm doing, then visit glow.fm slash archespolly, all one word, and support me and the show in any way you can today.